0: You had one job. All you had to do was one thing and get it right, but you couldn't even do that. (laughs) You see the screen behind me? There are a a lot of memes out there of a lot of pictures online where somebody only had one job. This poor person, all they had to do was paint that dreaded double line, but they failed you had one job all you had to do was paint the word yield but for whatever reason you spelled it the wrong way see some of you just went oh (laughs) that's why it's there or one of my personal favorites Now, before I even hit the picture, maybe I should just say, you know, if somebody ever comes to you and says, we have a job for you to do, we need you to put up a slide for kids to play on. (laughs) Great idea. Let's, Let's put the slide up on the curb going right out into the street, everybody. You had one job. You know, we've been in Philippians, and it seems as though the church in Philippi, just like with us, they had one job, and they weren't exactly getting it done just right. (laughs) And because they weren't getting it done the way that it was supposed to be getting done, the Apostle Paul, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he would write these words, do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as light in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. Hey, did you catch my mistake there? I just caught... I had one job, and it was to spell the word twisted correctly, and I spelled twitted I guess we all fail from time to time, don't we? You have one job Philippi, and what is it? You are to shine as lights in the world. That's your job. That's the job for the Christians there at Philippi. This is our job today. That we are to be a people who are allowing our light to shine very bright in this very, very dark world. As we go about this life, we are to be spreading the Gospel verbally. We're to be living a life that is so unique, so distinct, so different than the rest of the world that we don't blend in. That we stand out. That our light shines bright in this dark world. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Let your light shine. Let your light shine in such a way that you are doing good for other people. We looked at this last week. Do you remember what the mind of Christ is that we saw there in Philippians 2, 5-11? The mind of Christ is the mind of a servant. It's the mind of someone who would leave everything and do for us. Jesus Christ left heaven. He left the glory of heaven. He left the prestige of heaven. He left heaven and He came to earth and He lived here as a servant He took on the form of man. He gave up everything for us. And it's a mindset that we too are supposed to share in as we continue to grow in the image of Christ that we should be a people who, who want to do good for other people for the glory of God. We don't do good for other people for our own uh, pat on the back. We do good for the glory of God. And in doing that, our, our light shines very, very brightly. But we also let our light shine by being good. Paul says, I want you to be blameless and innocent. Children of God without blemish, holding Fast to the Word of Life. Wow. You know, the Word of Life, the Bible, the Word of God, it should shape every aspect of our life. The Word of God should shape our financial decisions, our relational decisions, our spiritual decisions. The Word of God should be the very thing that we hold fast to as we go through the ups and the downs of this life. And we should be a people who are living that blameless and innocent life. And you see, there's no way you're going to know for certain if you're really living that blameless and innocent life unless you know what God says here in this Word of Life. And the expectation is to be blameless, to be innocent, to be children of God without blemish. That doesn't mean we're going to be sinless. None of us are sinless. We we all fall short of the glory of God each and every day. But we are supposed to be living a life that is striving to grow, striving to be more and more like Jesus. Because if we strive to live our life more and more like Jesus, then his light, his light pours from us. And His light then is what produces this light in this very dark world that helps people around us who don't know Jesus to suddenly know His grace and to know His love and to know His peace and to know His comfort. But the problem is because we're not sinless, for far too many of us, we hang on to far too many Sinful thoughts and sinful attitudes and sinful actions. And what that does is it, is it just like strangles the light of Jesus in us so that the light of Christ, it's not as bright in our life as what it should be. That's why people in the world, they can't always tell the difference between us and them. Because we have all these things these sinful things that we still hold on to. This was happening in the church in Philippi. Their light wasn't shining as brightly as it should have been, as it could have been. And the reason was because there was some conflict among them. I tell you what, you want a way to hinder the spread of the gospel of Christ? It's whenever Christians are at conflict one with another. And what is it Paul says to do? He says, I want you to do all things without grumbling or disputing. I tell you what, church, if we don't leave here with anything else today, if we can leave here with this understanding our life will be a whole lot better for it and so will everybody else's. Do all things. All right. now I don't have to be a rocket scientist or a biblical scholar to figure this out. That doesn't mean some things. That doesn't mean most things. That doesn't mean the things I choose. All things. And how do I do all things? Without grumbling or disputing. Now, I can't speak for the church at Philippi, but how do we do on this? Do we live a life determined to do all things without grumbling or disputing? You're like me. You haven't even made it through today. Without complaining, without murmuring, without griping, without whining. But yet the command... The command here in Scripture, the, these these precious ancient words that our life is supposed to, to change because of, the command is simple. You do all things without grumbling or disputing. You know, the reason we struggle with it, it, it reveals a lot about us. If we do tend to still complain and gripe from time to time, you want to know what it reveals? It reveals that we need to repent. And it reveals that we all have some growing up to do in this life, growing up spiritually to do. Because again, we know we know that we don't do everything just as we should. We know that there are things, sinful things in our life that we struggle with. We all do. And we're not alone in that knowledge. The Apostle Paul, he had that knowledge about himself, and he could readily admit to that knowledge. In Romans 7, he would write there beginning in verse 15, For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it's good. So now it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want it's no longer I who do it but sin. Sin that dwells within me. I know I mess up. I know I sin. I know I fall short of the glory of God. And there's this struggle. There's this constant, internal, spiritual struggle where I know what I should be doing. And I know what I shouldn't be doing. And I hate the very things that I shouldn't be doing, that I'm doing these things. But it's because of the sin. It's the sin that dwells within me. You know what separates the apostle Paul, though, from a lot of us? He could own up to it. He could own up to it. Whereas we sometimes, we we in our self righteousness or in our fear uh, of what other people may think, we, we just want to act like we got no issues in our life, and you know, there is no sin, and I'm good, you're good, everybody's good. But that's not true. We all struggle we all fall short of the glory of God. We are not as spiritually mature as we should be, as we need to be. We struggle with that from day to day. But if we can at least acknowledge that there is is room for improvement, that there are areas of my life that aren't what it should be, then and only then can I begin to work beyond those things. To be who God has called me to be. But again, that requires some spiritual growing up on our part. Listen to what Paul would say going back to verse 12 of Philippians chapter 2. He says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. Now notice what Paul did not say here. He did not say, I want you to work for your salvation. You can't work for your salvation. You can't earn your salvation. Salvation is a gift. It's a free gift from God through the blood of Jesus. We cannot earn salvation. So don't misunderstand that here. But what Paul is saying Because you are saved people, it's time to start living like saved people. The way I might phrase it, you say you're a Christian, act like it. Act like it. Don't just do it in name alone. Actually live it. Or it really doesn't matter. Saved people should live and act and think like saved people. Or or guess what that means? we're not saved people if we're not living like saved people. Saved people need to live like saved people. Paul reminds us of this. He says, I want you to continue to to live like a saved person, not to live like somebody who may be caught in bondage. And and what we see here are three very important principles uh, of what it means to grow spiritually and some very keys to growing spiritually. And the first is this. Spiritual growth is your responsibility. It's nobody else's. Whether or not you grow in the faith, whether or not you grow in the Lord, whether or not you grow spiritually, whether or not you develop as a child of God should develop in this life, it is completely, totally, 100% on your shoulders No one else's. You can't blame anyone else for not growing spiritually the way that you may think you should be growing. You can't blame it on your parents. You can't blame it on your spouse. You can't blame it on fellow Christians. You can't blame it on the deacons or the elders. You can't blame it on your Bible class teacher. You can't blame it on anybody else. As much as you may want to try to pass the buck that you're not who God wants you to be and it's somebody else's fault, No. No, no one keeps you from being who God wants you to be except you. In Scripture, Romans 14.12 says, so then each of us will give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And listen, I I understand, as you do, that that a part of the body of Christ, one of the blessings of being a part of the body of Christ, we support one another, we encourage one another. And I tell you, wonderful opportunities for that is like Bible class at 5 o'clock tonight or Bible class on Wednesday at 645 or when our ladies Bible class meets on Fridays. Those are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful opportunities to get together, to support one another, to encourage one another, to live more and more like Christ. But one day, one day you're going to stand just as I will. You're going to stand before God in judgment. And you are going to be accountable for what you have done or what you haven't done. And you will no more be able to pass the buck than Adam was in the Garden of Eden. You remember what Adam did, don't you? When God said, Adam... Why did you do the one thing, the only thing I told you not to do? And Adam said, Because the girl that you made me, Lord, she got me to do it. You remember how well that worked out for Adam? It's going to work out about as well for us. You, me, we as individuals must take accountability, we must take responsibility. For our spiritual life. For our spiritual growth. If I am not where I need to be in Christ, that's nobody's fault but mine. I think a second thing that we see is that spiritual growth is a work. He says to do what? To work out your own salvation. It doesn't just happen. Spiritual growth takes work. Work is what? Work is intentional effort. You have to put in the work if you expect to see the results. If you want to see your spiritual life grow, guess what you cannot do? You cannot go to bed tonight, put your Bible under your pillow, and just assume that somehow, by osmosis in the middle of the night, you're going to wake up in the morning and you're going to know everything you need to know about living for the Lord doesn't work that way nothing in life works that way why would you think that the most important thing in your life would work that way if you want your spiritual life to be as it should it takes effort it takes you doing your part work out your own salvation but then notice the latter part For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. You see, while we are working out our salvation, God is working within us. It's God who enables us, who empowers us, who who gives us the desire, who gives us the energy, who gives us the, the ability. It's God that helps us to grow spiritually we're not growing spiritually because we're really good people. When we think that way, that little devil starts to get in our life with self-righteousness, and we start to pat ourselves on the back, and we start to think, "Well, you know, I'm a, I'm a pretty spiritually mature person." <laughs> I don't ever think that way. It should be a big red flag, by the way. If you do, if anything, because we understand that it's it's God who empowers us that enables us that we live a life not of self-righteousness, but of thankfulness. Because we can see, we can know, we can understand, I could not have done this on my own. This change was not possible by myself. I could have never overcome that sin that had entangled me for so long. All alone. The third thing is that spiritual growth must be taken very seriously. He says work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. I'm going to tell you something really good right now. There is absolutely nothing that you can do to make God love you any more or any less than He already does. That's a wonderful thing. That is a truth that should just give you so much hope on dark days. But there's danger to that same statement. Sometimes we'll take a statement like that knowing that God couldn't love me any, any more or any less. <laughs> there, there's nothing I could do to make Him love me any more or any less. And you know what that means to me? If I'm not very careful, then I'll translate that in my human mind to say, so God doesn't care. I don't have to change. I don't have to repent. I don't have to be transformed. I don't have to live a renewed life. Because God loves me just as I am. And God does love us just as we are. But there are certain things we do or don't do that God certainly does not love. God does not love sin. Again, you go back to the Garden of Eden. What was it that happened to Adam and Eve? As a result of their sin, they were kicked out of the Garden. Or you think about Moses... Moses, who had led this this faithful life and who had led the children of Israel out of bondage. And he didn't get to go into the Promised Land. Why? Because of his sin. Or how in the days of Noah, the flood came because of sin. Or how throughout the lives of the children of Israel, you know, they spent 70 years in bondage. 70 years as slaves because of their sin. Jesus died on the cross not because of His sin. He died on the cross because of our sin. The knowledge of how serious sin is to God, it should motivate us every single day to live a life that is in accordance with His will. We should wake up every day thankful for a new day. But now I'm ready to live my life and fear, and and trembling as I strive to, to work out my own salvation and live the life that God has called me to live. God wants us to grow up. He wants us to be more and more like Jesus. And if we will humble ourselves before God, we can be. James 4 says there, beginning in verse 7, Submit yourselves therefore to God, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and joy to gloom. Humble yourself. Humble yourself, therefore, before the before the Lord. And he, he will exalt you. Be humble enough to say, Lord, I can't do this on my own. I've I've tried. I've tried for far too long to do it on my own. And He will exalt you. He will lift you up. He will empower you to grow spiritually. And and as we grow up in the Lord, then and only then can we be that, that bright and shining light that God has called us to be, that He expects us to be, then and only then can you successfully accomplish your one job. You have one job, Christian, to let your light shine. I told you in the introduction, uh, about my father-in-law and how we received this this news that there's nothing else the doctors can do for him. And how now, as of yesterday, we, we went and Rachel and Rebecca put together this this amazing 50th wedding anniversary for them that, that we celebrated there in the hospital. He's been fighting for about three years now, leukemia, and it's hasn't been an easy battle. But I want to tell you something and the reason this picture's up there so I can I want to share. I'm very proud of my family. and I I want you to know how bright of a light that they have been to nurses and to hospital staff. Church, I've come to visit, and hopefully it's been none of you, but I've visited plenty of Christians in the hospital before where I've walked up to a nurse's desk and I've said, Can you tell me where so-and-so is? What room they're in? I have had nurses roll their eyes and say, yeah, they're in room so-and-so. And And you want to know why? Because they weren't letting their light shine. That's why. They were acting like any other disgruntled, uh, annoying, frustrating patient. My in-laws. My in-laws have been there weeks at a time sometimes. Around the holiday season, they make sure they have holiday decorations up to bring joy to the nurses who come in and out of the room. They're compliant. They're kind. Even right now, there's a, there's a little box sitting right outside of the room with Halloween candy in it for, for all the nurses to, to enjoy as they come and go. And yesterday, yesterday as we were having this, this celebration, It was the nurses who said, We want our picture made with Mr. and Miss Box. And they had written a card. And in the card, there were so many testimonies as to the relationship that they've seen between Danny and Lucille, the love they have for one another, how it's impacted them, how they want their own marriage to be like theirs. How their relationship with God, how it's meant so much to them. Even this morning, I know my mother-in-law's watching. She watches. they watch every Sunday they tuned in with us this whole time. And she gets up and she gets dressed and she gets ready for church, even sitting there in the hospital room. And it makes a difference. It makes a big difference how we live our life because you got one job. You do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of christ i may be proud i didn't run in vain or labor in vain what's the last part of that mean it's simple you want to make sure that your time on earth wasn't wasted that you didn't do this in vain you make sure you're living your life as a child of God has been called to live. Regardless of the circumstances you're in, regardless of the situation, you do all things without grumbling or disputing. You let your light shine no matter what's going on because you don't know. You don't know the impact that it can have on those in this dark and dying world. You've got one job and you've got one chance at this job. And if you don't do it the right way, your life's been wasted. Don't let your life be wasted. Listen, if you've never never obeyed the gospel today, if you've never been baptized for the forgiveness of your sins, the water's ready if you are. Maybe as a child of God's though, Maybe before you leave here today, maybe you need to repent because you know better than anybody you have not been living a life that is exemplary of that bright and shining light. Maybe that's something you'd like for us to pray with you and for you about. Or maybe there's some other needs you might have. We can help you in any way. Won't you come as we stand and sing?